0: Uh, warning, warning. Uh, two idiots forgot to record the warning, warning for the episode. Oh, I'll get on. Hello, welcome back to Discovering SCP. I'm Tanini, your friend. Who the hell are you, people?
1: Uh, I'm Darnell, but more importantly, we have.
2: Me, Quantum. Hello, how's it going?
1: Holy shit, it's him, Quantum. It's going well.
0: Quantum. who the hell's Quantum? <laughs> Quantum, you know, I guess is as good as yours.
1: <laughs> you know, guy famous for that huge series we just read that made me cry a little bit at the end, but not really. You didn't hear that. Uh, and also famous for uh, several other short stories and projects. This is the surprise I promised you guys. This will make up for not having an episode last week, right? You'll forgive us.
0: Um, I going
1: down now, now. it's a bad situation (laughs) I'm sweating No, but uh, seriously, it's good to talk to you again I'm really excited to have you, Quantum Um, Tell me about uh, what's been going on with you since we last spoke, anything new? Uh,
2: The big deal is uh, I have a new book out It's not an SCP-related book It's a collection of short stories The collection is called Valuable Humans in Transit and Other Stories Uh, It's got 10 short stories in there which I wrote at various times over the past years uh including Lena, which is a story i wrote and i adore Lena. Uh, probably about 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 two years ago which was uh very well received so you can finally buy that in ebook and print form yes. uh so yeah that that came out towards the end of probably like november 2022 mm-hmm. and it's doing well so and go take a look
1: yes please drop that link in here because i'm gonna buy that for sure because i need cool books and I, I i really enjoyed lena and i've heard uh only good things about your other short stories so i'm probably going to buy it um how how, how much is like the print copy
2: uh the print co- oh jeepers uh the thing is i set these prices and then i forget what i've set them to but i think it's probably about copy. the print copy is probably about six us dollars something like that oh maybe I, seven that's a it steal varies.
1: i'm buying well them. it's
2: a quite it's quite a small volume i think uh i'm but, literally robbing yeah. you right now uh perhaps so yes um, honestly, well, if you want a copy of the book, if you want the the, the paperback, then buy the paperback. That's fine. But uh, if you're trying to support me, then the best thing to do is to buy the ebook version because uh, my cut is bigger on the ebooks. Really? Correct. Yeah, because the printing costs. I hmm. have to pay for the printing costs myself. It comes out of my share. Well, this is because an cause... ebook doesn't really have printing costs cost at all.
1: Because I wanted a physical book, but I want to support you as much as possible as the problem. Get, get, the get, the,
0: get the physical book. Get what you want. <laughs> get
1: both. <laughs> Do you
0: want
1: to support? Expander. Then I'll have it. Then I'll have it on the go. <laughs> I'll be like, "Hey, you should check out Lane." And they're like, "Cool, I'll do it when I get home." And I'll be like, "Actually," and I'll pull up my Amazon ebook on my phone. I'll be like, "You can read it right you can now." Just pull out the actual book. <laughs> yeah, that too. Fuck you. Finally, a portable book on the go. Finally, something I can bring with me. Uh, Incredible. But, but yes. Um, speaking of other things, though, Tanhoney, what did you have prepared for today? So, what we have prepared is
0: a bit different from what we usually do, because we're not even touching the actual wiki in this episode. We're looking at um, some deleted scenes from the anti series. Nice, nice,
2: nice,
1: nice. Oh, cool. All right. Are these like bloopers are... deleted scenes, or are these like, here was something I wanted to work in but couldn't quite?
2: Well, okay, to, to, to be clear, there's a page on my website, uh, which I'll just paste a link to you guys. Uh, and then you can share it in whatever way you want. But there's a page on my website which says, "Hey, here's anti the book." And then if you just scroll down a little bit. There's extras, deleted scenes, and the reasons for deleting these scenes. It's different for every scene. I don't know if, which of them we're going to be reading, but d- there were different reasons for ditching each of these different b- bits and pieces.
1: Okay, so like maybe. So can... I guess we'll see. Go over one and then you'll give us like, hey, this is why I deleted it. This is what I would have done different type deal. Director's commentary. (laughs) Yeah, this is the director's commentary track for Quantum. Uh, You guys, this is exclusive content.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully this might be informative in terms of like how all creative decisions are made and why you put something in a story and why you don't put in the millions of other things that you could put in, but you choose not to. And, Hopefully it'll be informative. I
1: think, and I think the fact that you display these two, I think is really important as an author. Um, because one of the things I tell people who want to write, um, especially when they're writing their first thing and they're worried it's not going to be good, is that, especially on the wiki, at least, you can always change something after it's up, right? There's a couple even famous examples of that, like how Cactus added that stuff yep. on the, like, site uh Fuck! I forgot the I mean, name of the say.
2: The other thing is, if it's your first time, yeah, the, your first one isn't going to be very good. Right, like, that's normal. That's part of the process. Yeah, you have, you've got to get like about a, a million bad words out before you can get to the good ones. There's um, there's a
1: phrase that artists have. It's like there's a thousand yeah, bad drawings artists, in your pencil, and it's your job to get all of them out so you can get to the good ones.
2: Yeah, it's the same with writing. Exactly, it's exactly the same with writing.
1: Yeah. But I think it's kind of cool to be like, you know, it's easy to see like these big authors who are like really popular, but it's like, you know, they also go back and edit their work. They decide to take things out. They make conscious decisions. It's not always just a stream of consciousness thing. Like it doesn't just come out of their fingers and like leave perfectly into the world.
2: Right. The, the other thing is like we, we make mistakes. You, you, one of the things that separates, I think, probably a, a more capable writer from a less capable writer is the ability to write something and then look at it and go, hmm. This isn't very good. Uh, <laughs> I've been because <laughs> of course, you know, a point comes where you're like, okay, well, I'm still not happy with it, but I've got to ship something. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, is is just holding yourself to a higher standard and being able to tell what you could do better and to see that path forward. That that can be that's this one of the skills that you develop as you edit
0: and re edit.
1: Absolutely, a thousand percent. With that said, Tianoni, what's the first one we're reading here? Are we going from the top?
0: Well, the first one is um It from, 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 from sort of a uh, the original first draft for introductory animatics. I think we're probably gonna skip past that one and just go start from the second one, Haku. Haku.
2: Okay. Yeah, some some of these deleted scenes are not amazing. Like they, all of them were deleted for a reason, and some of them right. were deleted because they're not very good. But Oh, they um, even have
1: commentary at the top here. Okay, Correct. this is kind of cool.
2: Okay, so what, it's up to you. We can read the commentary straight away, or we can read the thing and then talk about it.
1: I think it would be personally more pertinent to read the thing first and then go over like what you've written and like your opinions on it now. Yeah, that's really the best way to tackle that. All right, so okay. I guess we'll start from the incident log part, right? Yeah,
0: yep, so uh, I'll, I'll jump in. Incident log, 1992 05 18. Cox, Ellis, Fassiman, and I have been following Haku and her two young since the 15th. Agents Ellis and Fasserman had been off their nestic dose since we left port. By this time, they were no longer able to perceive Haku or her young, or to understand what exactly we were following across the ocean. They had completely forgotten that SCP-2256 existed. Do you remember which one that is, Donald? These are the
1: big, like, invisible dinosaur things, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm assuming Haku is sort of like a Coco, but for the invisible dinosaur things
0: that out Although this led to some confusion on their parts they understood the nature of need to know and fulfilled their duties obligingly at midday on the 18th Dr. Doc Cox declared that she was finished tinkering and with le- very little ado powered her field genero- generator generator I sorry it was directly alongside Haku's flank Tom Young, Fritz and Naima were on the other side when the generator came on Ellis and Fasserman, who had been warned were immediately able to see all three creatures they began to take photographs. Fritz and Nima emitted deep cries which I recognised to be signs of the distress. They turned to flee, although very slowly. The creatures are so ju- gigantic that it takes even a juvenile a great deal of time to change direction or speed. Meanwhile, Haku turned to look at us. Her head was so far above us that it was nearly impossible to see, but I knew she could see our boat. She must have been confused. Ordinarily, these creatures can never perceive boats any more than boats can perceive them.
1: That's actually. I don't know if this was mentioned in the original SCP or if maybe I forgot over the series of time we read the tales, but I think this is the first time at least that I can remember where like the creatures sort of mutually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because usually it's like they're already dead or like we're studying them from a distance, so that's kind of cool. Haku tried
0: to stamp on the boats, but missed. We were two smaller targets, or maybe she has poor eyesight at that range. The second time, Haku hit the generator, but aside from a loud crunch, she did no damage to generator or the boats since she had almost no mass behind her. Aku bent down towards us. It was the closest I ever gotten to one of their faces, even after the helicopter recon at the end of the previous year. I shouted for Cox to turn the machine off. Aku vocalised, a low, near-infrastrand warbling, a sign of aggression. Then Ellis took a flash photograph of her right eye. It took a few seconds for me to realise that the photograph had killed her. It took Aku an appalling amount of time to collapse, by the time her admin hit the water, I managed to pull the boat back a hundred yards for safety, and cocked it long since turned the machine off. Rather than follow the juveniles, I decided we would stay with the corpse and observe its decay process. I could lay still on the ocean surface, tossed a little by wind and current while we took samples and notes. I was expecting her to just sink, but she lacked the density. Instead, she simply faded from existence, as if more camouflage was dropping over her layers, Separating her from reality so she could no longer be seen, even nestics. It took about six hours, finishing around dusk. Afterwards, we searched for three more days, but we were unable to find Fritz or Nima. Statement of Dr. Forster, Unit Chief and Research Lead,
1: SCP-2256 and v- Observation Day Lambda-11. Wow, that was I really liked that. Um, and my first thought almost well, I know this is a deleted scene, so I'm actually not sure how canon this is. But like I remember there was a part towards the end where they like were having a meeting in one of these things' skulls, and now I'm wondering if it was Haku's skull. Like if those were linked.
2: I actually didn't think about that. Uh it seems like I'm not sure exactly whether that it's the same skull. Um, no, it can't have been uh, because in that story, it's explicitly the skull of uh, a stillborn SCP Twenty Two Fifty Six, which yeah. would have been a ch- like smaller than a child. Right. Um, whereas Haku is obviously a full-grown adult with offspring. Right. So yeah. So to explain, so I also I, I enjoyed this passage. I enjoyed writing it. Uh, and th- the reason I cut it, well, there were two reasons why that I cut it. So firstly, in the original write-up, SCP-2256, uh, it explains about these creatures, but there's this redaction effect which is slowly consuming the SCP itself. Like, all of the text is gradually being erased, and that... Er- that- corrosion effect is getting stronger as you read onwards so there's less and less that you can still read Mm -hmm. so if i kept this in here at the end it would be almost completely obliterated with black blocks it would be impossible to say to tell like what it was actually saying right uh unless unless i was like really careful about what i blocked out and what i didn't so there was that uh the other thing is that this Kind of, it just covers it, retreads facts that are already established in the main body of the articles. Like mm-hmm. the foundation, they developed a generator to penetrate its camouflage, they took a photograph, taking the photograph killed it. The incident log just says the same thing a second time, which is something that I feel more than one SCP actually falls into the trap of doing is mm-hmm. having an incident log. This is redundant, we don't need this, right? Um, so. Yeah, uh so I cut this out uh which I think resulted in a, a shorter SCP, uh, a bit leaner. Um but I think still uh pretty good. Uh n- there are two juvenile SCP-2256s in this and they sort of they get away, they escape. Mm-hmm. One of them is called Nima and at the very end of Antimemetics, in the very last scene Nima is um the SCP-2256 in that scene. And so she, cool. uh, it is. I I thought it was good. Uh, and and she has her own mate and children by that point. So that's years later.
1: An- another thing mm-hmm. I like about this, and I know you already mentioned it in the original before, you mentioned how this was like repeating that. But I like the idea of the SCP that like. So we know t- recording information about like taking a picture kills it. So that makes you think that the redaction, like the SCP article itself, corroding, is almost like a self defense mechanism of the creatures. Like yeah, it's like to protect themselves.
2: Yeah, they they have they have this kind of defense mechanism somehow because they don't like to be observed. It hurts to be observed. Yeah, uh, I, this is this is kind of a commentary on perhaps like the the, the foundation overall. Maybe it goes too far into trying to understand things, and maybe maybe it's just like let let, let leave things be. Would maybe you some say- things are meant not meant to be pinned down in text like that.
1: Would you say that's one of the themes of the Antimimetics series overall, that there are things that are better left unknown or like to be their own thing? Or would you say that's just more of like a concept specific to these creatures?
2: Uh, I think that's more specific to these creatures. As a broader theme, I would say Antimimetics is more about when there are things that we don't know, there is a reason that we don't know this stuff. It can be a good reason or a bad reason. Mm -hmm. But if you choose to dig in you will find that reason for good or bad, and there, there can be... that may cause you to turn back, or it may cause you to have to tr- keep going. mm
1: mm-hmm. Yep. Very cool, very cool. Strong start. Um Thanks. So what is the next one we're reading, Tanhoni?
0: So the next one we're going to read is... Um, so there's another one, Wrath, which is Scenes from Your Last First Day. Um, would you recommend we go through this one, Quantum? I know it's a little bit... Um, Records kind of wise it's a little bit different than what it actually ends up on the wiki from what I understand. But what, did you did you read it, do you think?
2: I think it's worth reading, yeah. I think it's a fun scene. I and mean, we can discuss why we didn't go that I didn't go in that direction. Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely, Absolutely no problem. So
1: is this more <laughs> like a, a first draft or a different take on that one? Because I assume this is about the one where like that guy is like having all his memory eaten away and he gets caught and he has to like use the cell phone. So your last not- there, I think too. it was
0: the finale of the original anti series on I right.
1: Oh my bad. Okay.
0: Yes,
2: it is, and this is an this is the incomplete first draft of what eventually became your last first day.
1: So this is when she took the the Z amnestic, right? Yeah. Okay. Now yeah. I know what we're talking about.
0: Well, yeah. Now let's get into it. O five eight is working in the back of a limousine in Tehran, long past midnight local time, when he receives the hotline call. A overseer, the woman on the line is shouting and sounds as if she's running. This is Foundation Antimemetics Division Chief Marion A. Wheeler. Clearance 42081, Hotel Quebec, Oscar Alpha Lima, at Site 41. Requesting immediate kinetic bombardment on my position. MK-class scenario in progress. Acknowledge. The Foundation has no Antimemetics Division. 058 has never heard the name Marion A. Wheeler or a supposed clearance. He has no idea what an MK-class scenario is, although he quickly reasons that this must involve the world being consumed by something antimemetic. Whatever that in God's name that means, but he's not going to admit any of this to an unidentified caller. So he stabs the button which loops into the Foundation's signature option Vains. Hello. Vains puzzled with on his voice and says, "His voice. Yes. Hello."
1: On? Okay. I'm so glad you're here, Quantum, because he does that sometimes for me and then I feel like I'm the insane one when he cuts what? out. What did I do? You just cut I mean, it out I and... Mean, we, I
2: think you cut it out briefly. Yeah, oh,
1: we sorry. assumed you didn't I know how to read the word, I
0: wrong, I was like, wait. <laughs> Fane's puzzled in his voice and says, Pardon me, who did you say you were? Brent, it's Marion Wheeler, you know me, you know what I do. You trusted me with your real first name for God's sake. Ideas can't spread without a medium to spread for you. if have call's point of origin right now. We can't kill it entirely, but we can hurt it a lot. My name is not Brent. <laughs> I beg your pardon, but I believe you have a wrong number.
1: Goodbye. I'm just laughing because I feel like that's exactly how Tanhoney would respond in this situation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My name is not Brent. Bye. <laughs> he terminates the call, then ruminates for a few seconds. The call, woman calls him right back, sounding mortified. I'm so sorry, Overseer, but as far as we can see from our equipment, that call came from... nowhere. 058 smiles Finley. Stranger things have happened. Should I have stayed on longer? Uh, no, sir. We had all the routing data we needed before you picked up. My guess will be that the call was routed by accident from another universe, or possibly from the future. I'll wake some specialists. We'll have a full report for you in an hour. The limousine slows. They are arriving get a private airport terminal. I'm taking off for the states in 30 minutes. See if you can get to me before then. Get what to you, sir? The report, 058 says. This agent operative says nothing for a long moment. I'm sorry, sir, what was the purpose of your call? 058 managed to hold on to what happened for a few seconds longer, but it slips away through his fingers like a dream. Oh,
1: shit. That's not a... <laughs> oh, boy. Poor Marion.
0: Can I popcorn you for a little bit, Darnell?
1: Of course, I love reading. <clears throat> Site-41 stands in a dense, coniferous forest, far enough from civilization that its site-new could be detonated with negligible risk to civilians, if it still had one. It's a bright, near-freezing day, overcast with thin clouds which leaves the sky almost pure white. Standing over the main building is an anorexic kaiju, a fractal pillar of spiders as tall as the Burj Khalifa. Site-41 is four stories tall putting its roof about level with the treetops, but the metaspider simply dominates the skyline, darkening the sky with its presence, taller than mountains. It has two slender, tapering legs, as if it's standing on point, and a long torso which seems as if every one of its vertebrae is dislocated. It has smaller spiders crawling over its surface the way many animals have fur. It is bent, almost doubled over the main building, its asymmetrical arms are many-elbowed, and they bifurcate again and again as they descend, becoming bundles of spider feelers as narrow as javelins, too numerous to count. These fingers are burrowing through the building's structure, corrupting it with rust and rapid mold, scooping the sludgy, blackened pieces away and discarding them in the forest. The site Pharmacy is on the second floor, and Marion Wheeler reaches it about 60 seconds after the Metaspider does, having spent those 60 seconds running upstairs directly towards the danger, occasionally being bounced into the air as the whole building lurches. When she bursts through the pharmacy door, the first thing she sees is the pharmacist, Dr. Julie Still, crushed beneath two fallen heavy-duty medicine cabinets and a thick chunk of ceiling. This is <clears throat> the second is bright daylight through the hole in the wall. The third is the Metaspider's infinity-eyed face, staring placidly at her through the, uh, the hole where the other half of the room should be. Its long, javelin-like proboscises are exploring the room, tracking vibrations, hunting for prey. Wheeler unloads her gun at the Metaspider's eyes. It's a physical being, belonging to a species which populates much of temperate North America. It's not a meme or an anti-meme of any kind of idea. It simply uses anti-mimetic camouflage as part of its hunting strategy. And so, the bullets penetrate its cloak, each one puncturing and bursting a different eye, not quite blinding it, but causing significant injury. It gives off an infrasound scream. While it's distracted, Wheeler heaves the enormous chunk of rubble off the top of the cabinets. It must weigh more than she does, then hauls the nearest cabinet upright. There's no human left beneath it, just an obliterated scarlet mess of Dr. Still's head and upper body, and Wheeler wasn't expecting anything different. But the keycard on Still's lanyard is still intact in the mire. Wheeler takes it, iterates through the attached bunch of keys until she finds the right one, and unlocks the cabinet. From the back of the cabinet, she retrieves a small modular package colored safety orange with an enormous black Z on it. It is emblazoned with warning symbols, including, most prominently, the strictly foundation internal symbol which represents powerful, memory-altering, in parentheses, enhancing substances. Another two seconds and she's out of there, just as the spider recovers and tears out the room's floor. Having for the emergency stair- Herring for the emergency stairwell at the back of the building. Wheeler gives thanks that despite its incalculable power and complex behavior, 3125 is just an idea. It acts through proxies, on reflex action. It doesn't directly control its own behavior any more than a human being controls their immune system's individual white blood cells. And it doesn't understand its own behavior any more than an ant has free will. It isn't sapient, it isn't intelligent. If it were, there'd be no hope at all if someone screams behind her. Not in pain, it's a cry of war. WHEELER! Shouldering the stairwell door open, she risks a glance back. There's someone in the corridor, a skinny figure in a tight suit with artfully curled blonde hair cascading over its face, and bullet holes in its collarbone and abdomen. It bellows at her, raising its arms, elated. It's time, Wheeler! She recognizes it. It trips that reaction in her skull. She's seen it hundreds and hundreds of times. She gave it the bullet holes. But she doesn't know when or where. As she's skittering down the stairs, she can still hear the apparition shouting for her, and she realizes she needs another weapon. Uh, popcorn.
0: The armory's buried. Instead, Wheeler leaves the stairwell at basement level 2, where the noise is more distant and the floor seems less prone to slide around under her feet. She swipes a keycard for a reader and passes through the heavy-duty stainless steel door in containment area 4109. 4109 is safe. A certain basic level of physical security and access control is assumed for all anomalous entities across the whole Foundation. But in theory, every artifact in Area 4109 we've thrown in the hole in the ground for the rest of the time without significant risk. The artifacts in this corridor are almost comical in their threat level. There's an sea forgettable rubber duck, most commonly used for training. There's a totem hosting an Asian Malaysian demigod whose sole anti property is it makes you forget how to ride a bicycle. And there's the gun. There's a screen mounted on the wall beside the vault, providing continually scrolling access to containment procedures. It says SCP-7381, the Vermifier. It's a rifle, almost as long as Wheeler is tall, seemingly built to be held by people around twice the height of ordinary humans. It's surprisingly light, and has organic-looking bulges what ordinary guns typically do not, and a long two-time prong at the front instead of a barrel. It's a relic from a dead planet which conventional astronomy has so far failed to observe. Back in the corridor is where Wheeler's luck runs out when someone catches her. He steps out from behind Unit 7381's door, slugs her once in the jaw, and makes a grab of them fire. Wheeler, momentarily stalled, not by the suddenness of the attack, but by its ineffectiveness, operative, where in hell is your sidearm. Deliberately staggers back two more steps than she needs to, easily twirling a rifle out of the attacker's reach. As he rushes forward, Seek cover! Get behind the door! I've got the damn gun! What on earth? She falls back to one knee, disables the rifle's safety control, and fires it. This is integrating all the solid matter in a half meter wide cylinder of space projected down the barrel's axis and through the man's heart. He falls in four pieces jawless head, arms, and lower body. The rifle is recoilless, and its beam is invisible and silent. Wildigate is highly disconcerting for Wheeler, as it would be for anyone filling a human firearms. by her arms. It feels like playing with a child's plastic toy. She feels a need to shout bang when she pulls her trigger to connect the action to its consequences. The dead man was Alec Gauss, anti Division Operations Lead, a misleadingly stocky, perpetually unshaven man with nearly two decades of field experience. He was, by a wide margin, the most dangerous combatant on the site. Wheeler has never won a fight against him before. That was what surprised her most. Gauss should have killed her instantly, even barehanded, handed even granting her the gun. He was a terrifying phenomenon in the field. His movements here made no sense. But Gauss wasn't part of the fight. His mind is tumbling helplessly through some sucking, other-dimensional void now. There's a completely different set of ideas driving his body. Wheeler knows more must be coming. In her mind, SCP-3125 has been hammering to get in this whole time. Now the hammering stops, and the texture of the its attack changes, as it changes the figurative hammer for a figurative blowtorch. I had a plan. What was my plan? if i were me what would my plan have been go down bunker elevator.
1: so right, right off the bat i i want to admit that until um it was described as like not having any sort of like sapience i thought that the like bifurcating spider legs creature was like the tall spider rider from like the series but then i realized i i would assume it's a different uh entity based on the description following that um the other thing right. is Oh, I'm sorry, what were you saying, Dan? Uh, that was me. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was me.
2: Um, so one thing to keep in mind here is, like, some some of the elements in this passage which got axed, some of those elements show up later, and but some don't. Uh, most notably, like, th- this description of the person who's yelling at Wheeler, like, who seems to be this human figurehead for a 3125 um doesn't look like that eventually. I changed the description. So in this description, where it's mainly kind of a feminine figure, very skinny with a suit, like long curly blonde hair. And I changed my mind. I, I never published this and I changed my mind. And I made that character who eventually came to be named Red, is uh a young man um who uh shirtless, I think as well. So
0: I have to admit, like. I have this issue, I like, despite the description, the description is completely different, but my mental image of Red is Shaggy from Scooby-Doo.
2: <laughs> okay, I'm fine. I guess I'm going to have to deal
0: with that. I'm sorry, <laughs> I've done this to you. I actually <laughs> I right. do
1: that sometimes, too, where like the description of a piece of literature clearly says one thing, but I've already canonically decided the character looks a different way in my head.
2: Yeah, it happens. This is the nature of fiction, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, it can be a positive thing. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with it. It's fine. Uh,
1: Sorry, it, go Shaggy, on. does that mean yeah. Spider-Scooby-Doo? Um, John. maybe. Listen in the comments, what do you think? <laughs> the The other thing I was going to say, and I, I hope I don't embarrass myself in front of you, Quantum, because I'll be truthful, we, didn't, we haven't read the original version that did make it on the wiki in a while, so I might be yep. misremembering. I only kind of remember impressions from it, but I remember that that version had this sort of like crushing intense feeling of like everything collapsing around wheeler. And there's still a bit of that towards the end, but I think that the intro section of like the Oh eight, the 5 eight, not remembering her and that whole exchange gives it the whole tale, a little bit of a different feel, uh, compared to the version that did come out. Like it, it, it sort of sets up a different kind of, um, expectation and atmosphere to it or it's more like a race where like wheeler's isolated all by herself rather than like things collapsing around her even though I, the you know like the pharmacist is dead and this well, very retiring. similar yeah 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 this
2: this is a very action heavy take on those events mm-hmm. right? and you can see how like so for example if you were trying to film this somehow this is something that you would you would kind of want to do because it's what it's, it, be, it would it would be more visually interesting right so um so a couple of things. So, Well, let me, let me go back and read or well, paraphrase my intro to this. So I asked this draft and started over for one major reason. What I wanted to do is I wanted to start this last chapter with Marion not able to remember what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted her to be disoriented. I wanted her to lose some time. And I wanted to, I wanted her to rediscover her own plan and then react to that plan with some alarm instead of just having it play out linearly. Because if you just read this, then we just find out what Marion is doing. Right. And we know immediately. But with the way it's presented in the story, she starts off like in the elevator, not really remembering how she got to the elevator, and she remembers that she's injected herself with this drug, which is going to kill her. And she reacts with probably the same amount of surprise and alarm as we do when we're reading it right and i thought that's one of the things that you can do in fiction by intentionally keeping facts back in order to throw people off and like deliberately disorienting the reader is something i did a whole bunch of times in this story
1: well, I, um, I also like that you went with that take, too, because from the beginning of the anti Division, there's very much this setup that people create plans that they don't remember that they have to stumble across in the moment because memory has to be hidden. So that kind of brings that back to the forefront. Like, it's one of those times where we actually see that playing out with Marion, like, refiguring out her shit at the last minute, which is, like, really yeah. cool.
2: And I, one of the, I wanted to take this opportunity to... So back in Introductory anti with poor Kim, he thinks he's a newbie, And then discovers midway through the story that he isn't. He's been working there for a long time. And I wanted to do that again, but this time we already know that she's an an experienced operative. So we're kind of saying, figure it out, Marion. You know, we know who you are, but can she work out who she is? Can she get to her own plan?
1: It gives you like this anxious feeling as you're reading because you're like, oh shit. Yeah, I like that.
2: Exactly. Whereas, so in theory, I could have carried on writing from here and then gone straight into what is now your last first day, the elevator scene. But it wouldn't have anywhere near as effective. Like, it wouldn't have hit as hard because we've seen the Class Z nestics. Like, we know what they are now.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it doesn't work as well. So I, I uh, actually... I still consider almost all of this to be essentially canon. Um, the other half of it is... So this account of the missing time, This is, this is is this scene is kind of between two chapters. It's between Case, Colorless Green, and Your Last First Day. And there is um, an article by Sir Pudding called In the Trenches with the Dead, which covers the same time, but covers it from a different perspective and in a very different way, and does kind of conflict with this. I think they could probably be intermingled, but uh, that's the one that's actually on the wiki. So if you, which one do you consider more authoritative? Well, that's up to you, but only one of these is actually on the wiki. So, yeah.
1: Uh, fair enough. One of them made the cut, one didn't. Exactly. All right. Um, so the next one, I think, this one has a, has a very provoking title. I'm interested in this. It says, Wheeler's God. And that almost makes me wonder if it's related to that like little pet antimemetic that she has.
2: Uh, Interesting. Yeah, Wheeler's God. Yeah, let's get into this. So... Oh yeah, by the way, one of the things in, mentioned in the scenes from our last first day mm-hmm. is uh, an, an an anomalously forgettable rubber duck. I think <laughs> we've got quite a few anomalous rubber ducks, so I thought well obviously there's going to be an anti-memetic rubber duck, that'll be fun. Um it never, be I never I never managed to get it I never managed to get it into the stories. There were a couple of times where I tried to work it in and it just didn't quite fit. And right. this was one of them. I ended well, up maxing it. It
1: is is anti-memetic. <laughs> it could be in every one of the stories. Yeah, maybe maybe it's so hey. anomalously forgettable it couldn't even make it in the storytelling.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: That so it just makes a scene. But, but,
2: but the reason I say that is one of the other things that's mentioned alongside that is uh, oh. a totem <laughs> hosting an ancient Malaysian demigod whose sole anti-mimetic property is that it makes you forget how to ride a bicycle, which is what we're about to read about. Right.
1: Which feels very iconic, since the famous thing that people like reference of remembering things is like it's like riding a bicycle. Exactly. Exactly. That's
2: basically. why I thought it would be fun.
1: Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Do you want me Let's to start this it. one off, Tan, or do you feel like you have? Yeah, sure, sure, you can get to it. Okay, because I I just noticed it's a long ways without a break, and I thought you might want a little break for your throaty.
0: Thank you. Why was it called that? I don't, <laughs> I don't
1: know. know. I've been I've been doing that, appending like e at the end of things, like 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 saying Tanny or something. Hold I, on, that's the first time you said Tanny. I have keep a, an
2: eye on that. It might be a problem.
1: I have a friend named Eamon and I called him Amy, and I ruined his whole night because everyone made fun of him Oh man. <clears throat> okay. Cyclomnemophage. Okay. Did I say that right? It doesn't matter. Okay, perfect. Is the word Dr. Alan Stover invented to describe SCP-8473, and Marion Wheeler wishes he hadn't. She feels this every time she rereads 8473's entry. Run on sentences, invented terminology without clear definitions, exper- experiment logs made bafflingly obtuse by the omission of crucial details. This sounds like a lot of philosophy books. Stover is still out there, circulating somewhere in the greater foundation, one of the few people to exit the anti division alive and secure other work. A fine researcher and a lovely person in the powerhouse of anthropological knowledge, the man simply could not write. 8473... 8473 <laughs> Eight, is the ancient Johorian demigod of forgetting how to ride a bicycle. In turn, since prehistory, in a meter-tall, heavily-worn graven idol, it is talkative, laid-back, dirtily funny, and strangely compelling company. The idol stands immobile on a short plinth, lit from above by subdued yellow-orange spotlights which throws its heavily analyzed engravings into sharper relief. 8473 speaks from it, apparently directly agitating the air near the idol's surface to do so. You need to take a month off in Barbados starting today, 8473 tells Wheeler, where you're going to explode like a guitar string. Wheeler slouches unhappily in a chair on the far side of the room, staring at nothing, really. This is not part of any scheduled experiment, and the recorders are off. She's on a break. When A473 speaks, its intended meaning is always perfectly clear to all present, but the rendered vocalizations only make up about half of what it says. There's a faint telepathic side channel. This means that written transcripts of its speech never come out quite right according to anybody who was there at the time. It's something to do with godhood, but research into the fine details has proven unrewarding. So when it says guitar, and the word guitar is what appears in the vibrations of the air and on the audio recording and on the transcript, Wheeler knows in deep-veined shared memory sort of way that it doesn't mean a guitar, it means a sape, a Malaysian stringed instrument similar to a lute. I don't have time to go on vacation, she says. 8473 asks, do you drink? Anybody else, Wheeler would punch for asking this question. Punch, or if they worked for her, fire. But then, when was the last time she spoke to someone who didn't work for her? Someone outside of work. A shop. She must visit a supermarket from time to time, right? She must get food somehow. She axes this line of thought. I don't drink. Well, I don't remember the last time I drank.
0: Would you remember, though?
1: Maybe. I have a cellar. There's a refrigerator down there, and I know for a fact that there's champagne in the refrigerator, waiting for a special occasion. What special occasion? At length, Wheeler discovers that she can't answer this question. Instead, she says i don't drink i can't i smoke anything good tobacco nicotine wheeler says she rummages in her suit jacket in her suit jacket's inner pocket and waves a cigarette packet eight four seven three has no face it's a block of rock still it's plainly clear that it is revulsed ah sayang you can do better than that i need to keep my head clear i'm on call every minute of the year we're so short-staffed there's no one else what if something breaks containment while i'm elsewhere What if a ZZ double asterisk K-Class scenario breaks out? I'll take care of it. 8473 says, (laughs) I'll make them forget how to ride a bicycle. (laughs) They're not going anywhere. Wheeler almost laughs, but turns into a long, hacking cough. Based on radiometric dating of the rock and a humiliating amount of wild guesswork, 8473 has existed for at least 17,000 years. What it did during the millennia between its birth and the invention of the first actual bicycle is a matter of strident debate. The Foundation's collective opinion is that SCP-8473 did nothing, and probably did not have its current form. In 8473's own version of events, the bicycle was invented dozens of times in all parts of the globe since prehistory, only for 8473 to engulf, consume, and decay all human knowledge, not only of the riding of bicycles, but of the mechanism of the bicycle, before lapsing back into dormancy. A periodic process, a bicycle cycle, that almost makes me wish that in, like, Foundation canon, cars were invented before bicycles because of that. <laughs> the Foundation's version goes on to note that there is literally zero archaeological or historical evidence to support 8473's version of events. 8473's version... they got erased, if Yeah, of course. Anti-memetics. Uh 8473's version goes on much further still, but by this point, the Foundation's version has become exasperated and gone to look for aspirin. 8473's only confirmed anomalous property is its capacity to, sometimes, eat the part of a person's memory where they remember how to ride a bike. The process is painless and instantaneous. They have to go and learn again, which for adults is generally relatively easy. Other than that, and the fact that it's a semi-telepathic talking rock, which by Foundation weirdness standards doesn't even move the needle, 8473 can't do anything. It is not a powerful entity. It is, in fact, the least powerful god on the Foundation's books. Wheeler, then, considers its capability to personally deal with any kind of existential threat to humanity comical. Wheeler is sure as hell a theist, a polytheist at that. She believes in all the gods and all the devils and all the destinations, and she has even seen a few of them, but she would not say she has religion. To observe a religion would feel too much like taking sides in an unbearably complex, high-stakes conflict. Another one, that is. One too many. But sometimes, because she exists in a culture which is like this, she finds herself using turns of phrase like, oh my god, when she catches herself t- and when she catches herself doing that, she retcons her own meaning to be this god. Her god is eight four seven three. Is that enough for a faith? A squirrely, pointless little faith, and in the mobile, ineffectual god she visits on breaks, who basically only listens except for when it gives bad advice? It says again, I'll take care of it. You need to relax, the inside of your skull is a prison cell, and you need to get out of it. It gives her a commandment. Go home tonight and drink that champagne. The whole bottle. Become incapable and unbalanced. Do this in my honor. I mean, this guy's starting to make sense. <laughs> uh, I kind of like that, though. There's something to be said about, like, saving things for a special occasion and then never using them. What's well, the occasion? Please. I give in. I can't think of one. The occasion is that the world hasn't fucking ended, 8473 replies. That is actually almost good enough. I'll think about it," Wheeler says. She gets up to leave. I need an actual cigarette now.
0: Stay smoking here.
1: I can't," Wheeler says. There are tedious geochemical contamination reasons and American workplace law. Take it easy. It shouts after her and get laid. Get some bitches. All right, Tan. You can read the co- you can read the little small part.
0: Miss Wheeler. Miss Wheeler. Wheeler, why is that making him so fucking whiny? Wheeler <laughs> closes the door just too late. Someone is running up to meet her outside the containment unit. Oh, right. Wheeler recognizes her as Dr. Eli Marino, a trainee field researcher who joined the anti-mix division only six months ago. It looks like Moreno has a quite a question, but she has just become confused and distracted by a different question. I... Did SCP-8473
1: just tell you to get laid? Yes, Wheeler replies, levelly. Can I help you with something? This, I think holds up really well um like literally if you kept it as is or just replaced replaced get laid with like touch grass um i still think this would be like i i'm almost sad you didn't post it because i feel like it would have been a nice like little light-hearted break from like all the sadness in the series but at the same time i can understand why you don't since it doesn't really move too much forward and i'm sure you had your other reasons that you're about to explain to us but i i really like this i almost, i really wish this had been a part of the original series on the wiki
0: So uh,
2: you're exactly right that I I still like this as well. And the reason I cut it was because of the tone. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was originally the opening scene of the chapter named Immemorial. Uh, I don't know if you remember Eli Moreno, but that's the the chapter where Eli Moreno has just started her nestic dose. And she's just noticed that there's this massive rock outside the back of the division headquarters. I remember that. She's like, what is that? And they go out and talk to it and that whole chapter has a particular tone to it and that tone is very difficult from this book which we just read that's true it doesn't so this kind of leads directly into it but um it's not directly related in theme or in terms of plot Mm -hmm. and you're more than one people who, like, read the first draft, well, the draft of Immemorial, which had this at the start of it, like, commented that, like, this first part doesn't feel like it fits. Mm-hmm. So I took it out. Uh, potentially, I could have posted this as a separate chapter, a really short one, and then posted Immemorial. I feel like a chapter break between the two might have been appropriate just because, you know, w- you, when you go into the next chapter, you might expe- expect, like, a tonal change in that chapter over that chapter break. Right. But... So, where this came from, I thought it would be funny to explore, you know, you forgetting how to ride a bicycle. I thought that was funny. I thought, I thought the idea of a weak anti meme was kind of entertaining. Um, but the main reason that I wanted to write this is because this is basically talking about how Marion Wheeler doesn't have a personal life. Right. Because, and that's not because of any failing on her part or because she's kind of a loner. It's because her personal life has been eaten. It's it's just been chipped away at over the years as she's been working, and all of her family and all of her friends are just gradually disappearing, and she isn't she doesn't realize this. Right. Um, and I guess eighty four seventy three doesn't doesn't fully understand it either. Um, so I thought it would be it's it's not really it is kind of funny, but it's mostly supposed to be sad. This whole chapter.
1: And I do think that um, kind of goes along really well with what you set up the whole story. Like, I know, like, in, uh, I think the very first tale in the series, we get where she, like, introduces her pet that she, like, feeds trivial information, mm-hmm. she says, and, it, like, protects her. And, and we know other things eat away at her memory, too, but it's this idea that she, she sacrifices her own, like, Ability to live a normal life or have normal things to do the work she does and that's part of why she's so important and so relevant But that leads to her not having a social life It leads to her eventually like not continuing things with her husband later on in the story like we see her give up more and more of herself um, Solely so she can fight against like this idea and I think that is kind of what makes anti-memetic division sort of a tragedy As we go on, like we like Wheeler and we want her to be happy, but like, she's incapable of really getting to enjoy that because she loses so much of herself in the process.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And a a valid question might be like, to what extent does she have a choice in the matter? Uh, Does she feel that she could just walk away and go, no, I'm going to have a normal life. I'm sick of this, but she doesn't even remember how much she's lost. Um, which I think is interesting.
1: It makes me sad so, just thinking
0: about it again,
1: damn
2: it. It, it is sad. I think it's, it's supposed to be sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I consider it, you know, it's it's not a very, it's the most unfortunate life story, I think. Um, But yeah, so yes. The, the other thing is this chapter introduces SCP-8473, and if I put this chapter in, then everyone will be saying, wait, so what happened to SCP-8473? what happened to it i <laughs> uh, know like, canonically it was just yeah, buried yeah. <laughs> it's yeah so I, luckily, I don't have to think about it, that. It comically understand.
1: pokes up at the end of the last chapter and gives a wink to the audience. Yeah, it's folks. Exactly stupid, stupid post-credit scene. Yeah, we, definitely. We get a scene where, like, Marion uh, like, Wheeler and know, like are giving a
0: speech at the end. Is like, by the way, I was looking through your files. You keep mentioning something called a bicycle. <laughs>
1: what is that? Yeah, that would have been that would have been a fun little detail. Like when they mention like, what do they call the new Antimimetics division? The new sphere. A bicycle. The, the new, yeah, right, new spherics Yeah, new spherics, And they're like, if only we had a convenient. Convenient, like way to get around. That was like
0: hallways are so long. <laughs>
1: tired. We've yeah. created this new device to get around the facility faster. We we call it a biwheel. What device? <laughs> you know, this empty space. Uh, that's an that's another interesting point. If they reinvented the bicycle but called it a different name, would it still be able to erase the memory, or is it just the concept of bicycle that's important? Well, I it's not totally even the concept concert. of bicycles. Yeah. It's the knowledge of how to ride it. I think. <laughs> Does, does forgetting bicycles also include motorcycles?
2: Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I, I think 8473 perhaps is not to be trusted on this topic, so you could ask it and it would not tell the truth.
1: Because <laughs> I'm just um, imagining like the super cool agent who rides like a motorbike or whatever and he goes in and then he leaves and he just fucking bites it immediately. It's like <laughs> a horrific crash because he doesn't know how to ride his motorcycle. Oh, my God. He
2: just comes out and is like, "Right, where's my exit
1: transportation? Where's it gone? <laughs> yeah. Why didn't I, what, what is this thing? <laughs> I've never seen it before. It's
0: so good. Is it a, a
1: vehicle? I love this so much. Oh, man. I almost hope you add it at some point to the wiki, if, even if only as like a semi-canon side story. as Like optional. Uh, reading.
2: Maybe. I'm reluctant to interfere with like the path of events at this point. Right. Uh, I do leave it on my website, though. So, you know.
1: Yeah.
2: I, I, there's a lot of stuff that I don't even put on my website because oh. uh, it was axed for very good reasons because it's not very really good.
1: That was a good one though. um Thank What you. time are we? I think we're at about forty-seven minutes. Do you think we have time for one more, maybe ten? I believe the next one is fairly
0: short, though, so we may very well have time. Yes, we, we do have time. All right, and we... which
2: one are you thinking?
0: I'm looking at things. Foundations never say out loud. I'm going to
2: suggest that we skip that one, because okay. it's not really very good. Main, the main reason I leave it online is for historical interest, because technically it's the earliest anti-memetics, anti-memetics content that I wrote as part of this, but it's like it's badly written, and it's got horrible placeholder names, so I just leave it there for curiosity. I'm going to suggest we skip that one. What
1: about Anti-Memetic House paint? That one looks pretty short.
2: Um, we can do that. Do we want one that's short?
1: Well, I think we have time for, as long as it's not super long, because the one I was going to suggest is You Can Still Save Her, because that title drew me, but that one might be a little too long.
2: It okay. is quite long, but I also kind of like it a lot. Uh, g- given the choice, I'd go for You Can Still Save Her. All
1: right, let's, let's do it. it. Fuck it, we'll go a little okay. long. You know, we, we it's not every day we get Quantum on. Oh. All right, Tan, how about you read? Why don't you flex those vocal cords for us? Can I jump
2: in and do some reading at some point during this? <gasps> Absolutely, oh my god, yes. you know
1: what? Start, please, please. Alright, All right. so
2: um, th- there's no item number for this one because I never actually posted it, so uh, I'm going to call it...
1: Just call 5, um, it 5000, I'm sure that one's not an important SCP to anyone. No,
2: 5557 five, was the number I was going to go for. Okay. Uh, okay, so item number SCP 5557, object class Euclid. SCP-5557's vocal cords have been severed. SCP-5557 is not permitted writing materials of any kind. Foundation staff with knowledge of American Sign Language or British Sign Language are forbidden from interacting with or observing the SCP. Archive footage, audio recordings, and transcripts of SCP-5557 and written works by him may only be accessed under close supervision by Foundation staff who have received P1L clearance from Dr. Sophia Meller. Communication with SCP-5557 is to be carried out exclusively using Argo, a specially constructed sign language with an intentionally constrained vocabulary which makes it impossible to express complex or nuanced ideas. The SCP is confined to a Type 3 Plus Humanoid Containment Unit on Site 39.B.
1: So Argo is sort of it, like a caveman-speak-esque version of sign language?
2: Yeah, it's intentionally... You can't do much with it. All right, and I got you. SCP SCP-5557 is Conrad Allen Evans, 057 of the Foundation of Parallel Reality PL plus 209480.3 slash GE negative 099465.0, which is colloquially referred to by those familiar with his case as Earth 2. Evans claims to be... Yeah, I wasn't going to copy and paste that a bunch of times. I wasn't going to make people read it. Evans claims to be the sole SKP from a cataclysmic K-A class event which befell that reality on the 30th of November and 1st of December 2016, annihilating an uncertain but, quote, significant percentage of humanity in that reality. Evans' stated objective in all interactions with the Foundation is to establish cross-dimensional access between our reality, Earth 1, and Earth 2 in order to provide material support to the Foundation of Earth 2 as they deal with the K-A class event. In the event that Earth-2 proves to be unsalvageable, he proposes to use Earth-1 as a safe evacuation route for the surviving Foundation staff and civilian population of that reality. Evans's actual objective is to propagate the alpha-level memetic anomaly which has overrun his home reality. The opinion of Dr. Miller is that opening communication with Earth-2 would cause this memetic anomaly to occupy our reality just as it has Evans, with 99.5% certainty. Evans is a 1.87 meter tall human of mixed ancestry. He physically appears to be between 30 and 40 years old, but claims to have been born on 18th of August 1909 and to have benefited from 05 exclusive age reversing treatments. Evans has demonstrated himself to be fluent in Hindi, Bengali, English and Russian and can read and write in all of these languages. He has shown a rudimentary grasp of Chinese and Yoruba and a sound knowledge of American Sign Language and British Sign Language. Evans' true grasp of Chinese and Yoruba may be better than he has shown, and he may be familiar with other languages not demonstrated, including other sign languages. He has genius level intellect and is able to rapidly acquire unfamiliar languages by ear. By ear. Evans is cogent, charismatic, disarming, and persuasive. He is able to adapt his persuasive techniques to better appeal to the sensibilities of those with whom he is communicating. He switches easily between emotional appeals and rational ones, and between highly plausible promises of material reward and equally plausible threats, both personal and abstract. His account of the events which transpired in his reality are vivid, alarming, and convincing enough that he has, on multiple occasions, successfully persuaded Foundation staff to release him from containment and assist him in escaping. Footnote. Several people have independently contacted me requesting clarification or correction of this statement, which they believed to be an error. It is true as written, Dr. Meller. Those taken in by his appeals and subsequently dismissed from foundation service include junior janitorial staff, security personnel, administrative personnel, highly experienced researchers, and even senior international-level foundation executives.
1: Damn, Evans is
2: considered done. Evans is considered to be a delta-level mimetic threat and a Category 9N plus cognitohazard. Hannibal Lecter lives from the sky. Yeah, damn. O-
0: over to you. <clears throat> Either of you.
1: You want to stand, Or do- should, I,
0: should I? Sure, I'll do it. History. On the 1st of December 2016, Evans arrived at Site 300.0, the Foundation's central administrative building for North America. He supplied valid credentials which allowed him through the site perimeter, and then presented himself at main reception as a walk-in. He stated that he was a refugee-o-fire from a parallel foundation and asked to urgently speak to the site director. He was immediately detained for questioning. Evans described his home reality as being nearly identical to our own, with a historical track apparently matching ours up until at least May 1985 and diverging only slightly from ours in the years since then. No obvious single point of divergence has been ascertained during questioning. Evans described Earth Two as having largely the same anomalous phenomena as Earth One, and described an Earth Two foundation very similar to ours, aside from certain natural variations, procedures, naming conventions, and staff. Evans was apparently able to recall almost all of his Foundation's SCP database, and accurately described a variety of SCPs identical to those we have in containment, although many had different numbers. He also describes a number of SCPs not present in our reality. Notably, the SCP-001 of Evans' reality is apparently completely unrelated to ours. Evans was not informed about the similarity between his Foundation's database and ours, nor was any information about our own SCP database shown from his time. It seems likely that equally many of our own SCPs will be unknown to him, but to share such classified information of him in the hopes of confirming this would naturally have cons- constituted a severe information security violation. Throughout questioning he was repeatedly asked to urgently speak to the Site Director or to our own O5 Council and was denied. On the 3rd of December the Director of Site 300.0 provided Evans interview transcripts and a blood plasma sample to a representative of the O5 Council and requested guidance. The Council quickly responded to confirm that Evans was generally genuinely sorry, a Foundation O5, though they declined to explain their rationale. The Council ignored all further requests for information. In particular, they declined to confirm or deny that our own 057 was the Conrad Allen Evans of our reality, or that such an individual had ever existed, whether on the Council or not. On the same day, MTF Row 65 secured Evans severely damaged Transdimensional Escape Capsule, which was found as a location given by Evans. Scientific analysis proved that the capsule had indeed arrived from a parallel reality, carrying one humanoid occupant. Evan's fingerprints were also found in the capsule interior. These combined factors were lent enough credibility to Evan's story to officially confirm his identity. He was granted basic clearance, and a small engineering team was assigned to assist him in establishing access to Earth-2. On 19th of December, Evan's team carried out the controlled implosion of one of the offspring of SCP-Blank. I noticed there's quite a few <laughs> redacted numbers there. Hmm. So we're pretty far ahead here. Successfully forming an ellipsoidal wormhole terminus approximately thirteen point two meters in diameter, leaving site thirty nine B of our reality with a disused transdimensional gate in a foundation facility on Earth 2. And I'll just show these wormho I like the I like the implications though that that's not that notable it suggests this is like the accepted method for making a wormhole.
1: Yeah, I'm just blowing it the fuck up.
0: Yeah. And I'll just well blowing it the fuck in. Analysis showed the uh, wormhole to be stable and safe for human use. Later that day, MTF Tau-2 transited the wormhole and reported that the Earth-2 end of the wormhole was hermetically sealed off by a sphere made from an exceptionally resilient white metal. Evans called the sphere an emergency shroud. The interior of the shroud, a configurable display intended to be used for the sending of messages in the event of emergency, showed symbols indicating lethal anomalous memetic contamination. It also showed written messages in multiple language warning in the strongest terms against attempting to penetrate or communicate through the Shroud, and advising instead to keep Earth 2 sealed off from the greater multiverse for all time. Evans was able to identify the Shroud material as an alloy developed by a scenic Foundation containment architect in his reality. He provided a manufacturing process for the Shroud material. He also described a hazardous but likely effective procedure for combining several SCPs to breach the Shroud. Apparently unperturbed by the monethic contamination warnings, Evans instructed his team to carry out the breaching procedures. At 21.30 on 19th of December, one of Evans' technicians notified Foundation's senior staff of what Evans had ordered. Evans was immediately classified as SCP-5775, I believe? 5557. 5557. And taken into humanoid containment.
1: I do find it interesting that, um, despite him obviously being an anomaly, they sort of gave him... A relative trust and free reign until he had proved a threat and then he was classified as an scp because i know that that that
2: is sorry go on
1: oh i was gonna say just because i know that sometimes an scp they sort of take people in even when they're not really a threat just because it's like a knowledge thing
2: yeah uh that is like tonally well not tonally but like structurally that's one of the reasons why I didn't post this, is because the foundation is behaving a little out of character here by giving him so much trust. Well, you know, yeah. It, it it doesn't seem likely that the foundation would do this, and I haven't I haven't really figured out how I would change the story to work around that. But the only thing just, I could think,
1: know. is, you mentioned, he's like supernaturally charismatic, is that maybe he has some sort of like mimetic bullshit power that like makes people want to trust him. But even then, you would think that he would get away with it. Then, so it's kind of like
2: well. Maybe he does, and maybe he doesn't. We should keep reading.
0: Indeed. During further interrogation, Evans adhered to his original story. He described the Metic Warning signs as likely a ploy by the K-A class anomaly to seal Earth-2 off from outside help, marking that reality as its own. Experimental cerebral scanning technology employed at this time indicated that Evans believed himself to be truthful. He repeated his urgent plea to speak to the earth Five Council, which was again denied. On the of December, it was discovered that several of the SCP's engineering team were proceeding with the breaching procedure, apparently considering the urgency of the situation on Earth-2 and the authority of the SCP to overrule the authority of Earth-1 Foundation officials. These engineers were terminated, as was a project manager who was found to be collaborating with them. From 21st to 31st of December 2016, over Christmas, a replacement engineering team attempted and failed to shut down the wormhole.
1: Imagine you A have scream. to miss Christmas with your family to shut down the fucking wormhole. That, that's that's
2: like the least bad thing that ever happens in the S. <laughs> <starved> Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> that's nothing.
0: <laughs> this is the, like, the widest foundation. On it. This is the worst thing that ever happened. The worst Christmas. <laughs> 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 it was glaring at him like my friend died. Yeah. <laughs> discovering it to be self-sustaining with an expected lifespan of approximately 1.07e plus 23 years. On the 1st of January 2017, construction of identical energy shrouds surrounding the Earth one terminus the Um Umel began using the white metal alloy described by the SCP. Construction was completed on the 11th of February 2017. On the morning of the 9th of March 2017, the SCP disappeared from containment. Over the course of the following 48 hours, it was determined that, using various Foundation's staff as intermediaries, he had managed to make his case known to the deputy Director of the Foundation's Oceana Office, Oceana Office, sorry, who <laughs> would overruled the Director of Site-39B without their knowledge and authorized the SCP to be released. Following his release, the SCP had made contact with a representative of Prometheus Labs Incorporated and promised advanced proprietary Foundation technology in exchange for extraction, protection and material resources. All Foundation staff responsible for the SCP's escape were terminated. Those remaining staff with knowledge of the case were interrogated to determine their level of sympathy for the SCP. Those unable to maintain a dispassionate opinion of the case were given Class E amnestics and reassigned. On the 28th of April 2017, MTF Row 70 reacquired the SCP from the Prometheus Laboratory site where it had been secreted, and destroyed the incomplete transdimensional capsule which it had begun to construct with their assistance. The SCP escaped twice more over the following 12 months, both times with the assistance of compliant Foundation personnel, who had either become familiar with his case file or been swayed by speaking to him personally. Progressively stricter containment procedures were put into place to reduce the SCP's ability to communicate his plight to Foundation personnel. On the 30th of June 2018, following a third escape attempt, the SCP's ability to speak was permanently removed, in the belief that the inability to articulate complex thoughts would reduce the memetic risk. The SCP is a word that further impropriety may result in significantly more drastic containment measures.
1: Oh no, I think I will popcorn to you for the last bit. I got you, fam. I'm <coughs> seconds from death. <laughs> Addendum 1, 30th of April, 2017. SCP-5557's description of the K- KA-class anomaly occupying his reality have been removed from this document, as they have been shown to cultivate support for fi- 5557's position. Addendum 2, 1st of August, 2018. All references to blank have now been removed from this document, as they have been shown to cultivate support for SCP-5557's position. Before his power of speech was removed, 5557 spoke about blank frequently in interviews, indicating both implicitly and explicitly that he considers blank to be more important than his homeworld or his foundation. The Argo language to which SCP-5557 is now restricted intentionally contains no sign for blank. In spite of this, SCP-5557 has attempted on several occasions to introduce such a sign. Five 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 seven is forbidden to use such signs, even in private, or to invent more signs of any kind. Expansions of the Argo vocabulary may only be made with the approval of Dr. Miller. Since August 2018, 5557 has begun referring to Blank obliquely, using the existing Argo sign for data expunged, apparently making reference to the above restrictions. Foundation staff are strongly discouraged from attempting to discern the true meaning of the sign. Okay, so he's using some sort of like idea to get people so he does have like a power he's using that's interesting but how was meller able to resist it then because this implies based on these addendums that it was in here before and then was removed
2: so there are really let me go into the backstory for this one there are two there are kind of two SCPs here Uh, So, the SCP-5000 contest had a theme of mystery, and this was supposed to be an entry for that contest, but it never really worked out. Mm -hmm. Because this idea doesn't really have a strong mystery theme, uh, and I still couldn't get it to work even after I abandoned that. But the point is, um, it's supposed to be ambiguous whether Evans is genuine, or whether he's a mimetic anomaly, and he's contaminated, and he is actually trying to destroy this world. Um, I never really picked either of those two options. And depending on which of those options you uh, believe in, this SCP can be read in two different ways. So if you take him to be genuine, just like surprisingly charmingly persuasive in a way which I guess an 05 maybe could be, uh, like really good at talking people around to things, then first of all, that blank thing, well, the clue is in the title,
1: you can still save her.
2: Yeah, so someone he left did comment someone...
1: that too at the bottom that I was thinking about. Yeah, that the, well. the
2: comments, the comments are going to cover a lot of what I'm about to say. It's like, yeah, he he <laughs> left someone behind. It's not just his world that he's trying to save. Like he is personally connected to someone who he left on the other side, and he's trying to get back to her. In my head, it's his wife, um, but it could be there. There are various possibilities, and given that the deal with Sophia Mella is that she is just horrible. She's completely unsympathetic and she hates this guy and doesn't want him to get what he wants and doesn't believe him and just won't listen to reason. That's Mela's deal. There's nothing weird going on. It's just she's unnaturally resistant to it.
1: And to be Um, fair, that, that seems like viable for a doctor in the Foundation to be like, anything weird, shut it down. I don't trust you.
2: Exactly. Exactly. The other way to read it is, so in case it's not clear, like this KA event that happened is Case Hate Red from Antimimetics. So, like, this thing, SCP-3125, showed up, overran the whole universe and that foundation in a matter of hours.
1: Damn.
2: And because it's, it, it's, it's generally understood that the foundation universe is a multiverse and there are other universes, so a valid question would be, well, if SCP-3125 is a multiversal level threat, like, what happened to the other universes that it didn't overrun at that point? Does so, it still exist my, in those
1: other universes too, even after the events at the end of the series.
2: Uh, I don't know. I think the series examines one universe, and there are others where maybe it does exist or doesn't exist, and hasn't done anything, or where it won. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to broaden the scope that much because that opens a lot of really difficult to answer questions. Mm-hmm. But my feeling of what happened is that, uh, basically what happened is what you see in this story, where. those multiversal links got shut down. They got severed and essentially 3125 said, this is my universe. Everybody else, stay away. And kind of marked it off with warning signs almost. But just before that happened, a few Foundation 05s kind of ejected to safety. They went, ah! Our universe is being taken over and they got into some kind of pod, like this guy did, and shot themselves to another universe and... Because of course, like you're going to have an escape plan of some kind. It just seems extremely logical. So this was kind of intended. For, this story was intended to address that question of what happened, but he's like on, on the multiversal and, scale.
1: And but he
2: wants, yeah, he thinks he can save it. But if you view it the other way, he may have been contaminated by thirty-one twenty-five. And he may be attempting to, like, make a toehold in this universe and take it over as well.
1: That's true, because, like, we know that with 3125, it, like, sort of fills itself into a person.
2: Yeah, it, it has to, like, attain a kind of critical mass. So it starts small, and it builds support, and then eventually it reaches a point where it doesn't need to hide anymore. But, so, that is the other way that you can read all of this. And in this case, like Evans legitimately is a dangerous memetic anomaly. And Miller is the only person who seems to be able to resist it um, due to whatever reason. I so,
1: like this. I also like that it takes concepts from the series and like is willing to explore them with like new characters too, instead of like solely relying on the ones that we've already gotten through. Like this is a very cool standalone concept, although it does require a little bit of outside knowledge. I, I really like this.
2: Thank you. I was concerned that because there are these two interpretations, because this this as written, it doesn't lean. It should I should have picked one of them and leaned hard on that one, and I couldn't decide. And as I say, there's the aspect where the foundation is being unnaturally cooperative. That's a bit odd. It doesn't it isn't fully explained by the fact that the SCP is very persuasive. Like so I never really got it to work. But as I say in the lead in in like the introduction, like this could be salvageable and you know there's a it's probably quite a slim chance but I might finish it one day I was gonna know.
1: say I'd love to see this revisit at some point if you ever find the desire to because i I think it's got a lot of I think it's really cool I was gonna say a lot of potential but I already like it as is and even though you i know you're saying you would want to revamp it and improve it I think it's pretty good too
2: Thank you.
1: what do you think Tim? Yeah,
0: would really you well. into this? um probably not because i i'm i'm I, I'm like I would have seen through it but it's like um I, I don't know, really. It's, it's hard to say.
1: The ego of Mr. 5000. No, I'm kidding. That's fair. It's more like
0: if you get told, like, before, like, oh, don't do whatever he says, don't do anything. Like, I feel like if you cover your ears, just don't look, he can't convince you. Well,
2: Perhaps. you know, they're talking about more impropriety. Like, a time is going to come where, like, there are no cameras on him and he doesn't get to interact with humans anymore. Mm. Exactly. Um, yeah. And the thing is, like as years pass, this gets sadder and sadder as a story because you just see him wasting away in his cell. It's like twenty. It's like six years later now, and he's like, "Well, it's over. My earth is dead. What else have I got?"
1: Oh, I can't save her. Yeah. No. You failed. It's like sad Hannibal Lecter.
2: Yeah. Yes. All <laughs> right.
1: Well, this has been a freaking ball. Thank you so so much for joining us again, Quantum. I really enjoyed going through these and hearing your thoughts about them, and revisiting anti Division because like that that series really inspired me to want to want to like explore some ideas. Um, I, Thank you. I I love it. Um, I think we're gonna end off with a comment reading. Do you wanna stick around for that? You don't have to. I, I would hate for you to like feel awkward, but we would I love I to.
2: can stick around, but uh, I doubt any of the comments are aimed at me, so
0: I'll just yeah. Yeah. A lot of surprise episode, so I'll be very surprised yeah, we, if any were aimed we, you. We
1: should probably have prepped our audience so they could have cool questions for you, but I didn't think that phenomenal. I wanna make I don't think we should have made this that foolish. We yeah, cool. uh, if you guys have questions for quantum put them in the comments and then if we ever have quantum on again we will Yeah, read no, a of sure <laughs> yeah it'll be sure. like a time capsule. You'll forget all about it Oh goodness Just, like, not All right, there isn't too many to go through so we'll knock these out real quick uh, First from three yellow arrows aka crocat. He says new era. I like that You guys are giving critique to these cold posts though. I'm not sure how likely it is that those users will hear this podcast
0: Almost well, certainly
1: not. Um, it, it, it might almost be better if they don't. No, I'm kidding. Um, I I I like going through the cold post. It it kind of got me. It's got me excited about the podcast again. Like it feels like something new. And the same way that I really like going through the deleted scenes this episode. Like like it's not like oh I'm sick of of SCP. I hate SCP. Now I'm so jaded. But I do think mixing up the formula and doing fun things like these is necessary. Like when we've been doing this for years to like keep it fresh and keep it fun um and it kind of gives a new perspective on the wiki as well like because previously it was an entirely curated uh like uh process by tan where he was like these are the ones that i think are the bangers and we're gonna read these and uh poppycock to recommendations but now it's like we don't even know what's coming up next it's it's a full surprise and that's kind of fun with it's like tan's discovering with me
0: Exactly. I've we've managed to change the format entirely. I still don't have to listen to recommendations. <laughs> all I'm gonna
2: say is, I'm gonna say is, if you're reviewing cold posts from unknowns or new people, try not to just obliterate someone. It'd be very easy yeah. to just yeah. like read their stuff and go, "Wow, this is horrible. You shouldn't have written this." And they're going to hear it and go, oh, and not write anything. And no one wants that. So, uh, no, you know, we're exactly 100% yeah.
1: agreement. That was our exact thought process. And we mentioned that um, in cool. our video as well. Like, we we didn't want it to just be a roast, roast session. We tried to give some, like, earnest advice. But actually, some of the ones we read were really good, too, already, as is. Like, I don't know if it was just, like, lucky time, but there were some pretty solid cold posts in there, too. But, um.
2: Nice. Well, we're seeing the cold posts.
1: Well, well, sorry, new posts, because some of them were reviewed, yeah. I'm sure. Um, Next from Chrysanthus, uh, it's been since episode forty something that I haven't commented, mostly because I stopped watching for a while. I've binge watched you this holidays, and now I can only say one thing to you, Lovecraftian horrors that call themselves our hosts: happy, happy holidays. Hope I hear more SCPs and tales from you guys. Also, Tan Honey, see you in the next loop. Interesting. So, um, quantum. That's just a a little bit of podcast lore. Is that we've decided that everything happens in time loops, Absolutely. and
0: we've we decided looped. retroactively that there's a time loop. We yeah, know and, when we, and we hop when to the next ends. loop
1: before this one gets destroyed, and that changes the lore. So that's why it's always like how, contradictory. How long of a loop? <laughs> we haven't decided. <laughs> that. Sometimes okay. it's like a minute. Sometimes it's the entire <laughs> runtime of the podcast. But but that's why that's why the lore is always changing because we have to keep the loop switching between universes.
2: Loop. <laughs> okay. Good good luck with that. I've t- I've written a lot of time travel stories, not on the wiki, but I've written a lot of time travel and it does do your head in.
1: Speaking of time travel, did you ever read Our Stolen Theory by Captain Kirby?
2: No, don't think
1: so. Okay, so, Quantum, I, I feel very blessed that I get to recommend something to you. I hope you like this. Let me find it real quick. So this is one of my favorite tales on the wiki. Um, uh, SCP wiki. It was written by Captain Kirby... And it's about time travel and it's one of those, it's like a format screw so you have to like keep going. And the and the basic gimmick of it, I don't want to spoil too much, is that these guys keep time traveling to change things. And it keeps changing the article as a result because the next article is like in the new timeline. And I don't want to mm. spo- spoil anything about the plot or the characters, but it's a really good story and I think you should read it and I would love to hear your thoughts on it later. I'll give it a look. Hell Yeah. Alright, uh next, uh Good Day says, good stuff, good stuff. Love the new format of reading all the new things. Very excited for this era. Dot dot dot. Don't disappoint me. You hear that, Tanhony? Uh, next from Sobek, he says, uh I don't know if that's an I or, or an L. Do you guys it's have a, trouble? Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, anomalous for Targan. All, gl- all glory to the anomalous one. Praise be upon their name for a thousand Eons. That's
1: true. Uh, I upvoted that. But um, do you guys have trouble sometimes with like determining if something's a capital I or a lowercase l in type? Never in my life. Like I used to be pretty good at telling based on the on the thickness of the letter, but I can't do it anymore. I'm not strong enough.
2: Twitter is rubbish for this. The, the glyphs are identical, basically. Oh, absolutely. There's a, there's a certain amount of impersonation going on.
1: Um, Shaythelia just commented a Christmas tree. Very nice. Uh, a mysterious rune <laughs> mysterious rune uh grave anti-law says thank you thank you for your service anomalous uh, anomalous being our wonderful editor who we love with all our hearts um banker paul says thank you for your service anomalous thank you for your service darnell tanhoney dot dot dot
0: i i snapped
1: back yeah you <laughs> said two years into the past
0: uh, I actually just said that because if, if you go back to one of our videos from two years ago, he actually resumed that comment.
1: <laughs> Comedy <laughs> man Kelp introduces a very interesting. Um, what's it called when like you compare two characters in fiction to see who would, would win. win? Yeah, he says bowler hat tortoise versus the bowler who wins. Uh, I don't even remember who bowler hat
0: tortoise. So bowler oh, hat oh, tortoise was
1: a tortoise <laughs> that wore a bowler hat, and the bowler hat like. Let people hear its thoughts, and if the bowler hat wasn't being worn, it would like g- get louder or something and like make static noise. Um, and the bowler was our bowling themed supervillain that we made up entirely in our. Heads. I think
0: the tortoise would win because, as far as I remember, we didn't actually give the bowler any superpowers apart from being
1: he was just like evil and loved really using bowling. bowling. <laughs> yeah, he'd bowl the tortoise down the fucking lane. Uh, well, it's not round, it's not it's, a sphere at least. Um, good point. An Anomalous Writer says, a new art era, a fresh arc, a crisp page wowza. Also, password thank you for your service, Anomalous. Smile. And then lastly from Guare, we have new era old podcast. Also, I really like the SCPs you chose today. Feliz Navidad y Prospero Año Nuevo, which Seriously? is... Uh, you know what that says, right? Yeah, it's um, like Merry <laughs> Christmas and have a good New Year, essentially. He's here. I hope yeah. you did. Yeah, uh, I did Spanish in high school. We're actually
0: releasing this episode a week ago.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, to make it work. Yeah, this this is brutal. This one won't be out till like, early January. Um, But, yes, uh, that's all for comments. Quantum, once again, thank you so much. If you ever, ever want to come on again, simply say the word, and I will put you in the podcast uh, faster than you can say anti-memetics.
2: It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, See you next time.
1: Yeah, see you next time.
2: Whenever that next time happens to be.
1: Yeah, in the next loop. After yeah, we've forgotten absolutely. everything, all it's right. Actually, different blonde something for the first time. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.